quite a few of which sound quite foreign to us. And as I said earlier, it's a list that we are very easily tempted to quickly move forward on and skip over, move to the more interesting bits of the gospel later on. But we need to remember, I think, and it's important to remember, that the first words of the New Testament is, is, are these words. If these aren't just here randomly. They're here from a very important person. And when we think that, we need to stop and think, you know, should I just skip this or not? But I would say to you, you know, we need to be reading this and, and seeking to understand it better, obviously. I, I always look at this genealogy a bit as a preface to a book, you know, like the, the early bit of a book, uh, which actually seeks to uh, set the scene, as it were, for what is then going to come later. I think the genealogy is Matthew's way of setting the scene for what is going to come later in his gospel. And another reason we must read these, these, these words as well, although sometimes it's more of a struggle, is it's very much to honour what Paul said. He said, Paul said, all scripture is God-breathed God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So they're there from that point of view too. Now, there's three sections in the genealogy, which Matthew introduces right from the start in verse 1. He, he, verse 1 says, a record, a record of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of a David, and the son of Abraham. So it breaks it into three. There are three genealogies that take us from Abraham to David, from David to Josiah, and then the exile to Babylon. And then once they return, from Jeconiah through to Jesus himself. Now, when I was preparing this sermon, uh, I thought, I, I need someone to read this for me. Because they've got all these names in it. I thought, I thought, then I thought, I, I don't know if the Lord was doing this to me, going, no, you read it, Simon. <laughs> don't ask people to do something you won't do yourself. Right? And we have quite a list of names. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you my pronunciation is perfect. Please don't expect that. Um, but I'm going to read these three parts. And I'm just going to mention when we're going from part one to part two to part three. But this is really honouring God's word and this is why I'm going to read it. Although but at the end of it you're still going to go, it's a list of names. <laughs> right? But then we'll move on to maybe more on that. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. <clears throat> Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amimadad. Amimadad, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Abraham to David, that is. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconia and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon, part two. 
followed by part three. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Elikayim, Elikayim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ, the Messiah. And lastly, he says, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. And just a very little note on that 14. Some commentaries say that, uh, correctly, I think, that the, 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 he, the, new, the numerical value of the Hebrew word David is 14. And therefore, this is the line of David. So basically, what you're saying here is in the authorship is someone using that sort of thematic, probably to help people remember. People used to remember these names, by the way. You know, we, I'm not going to test us on that today. But the people used to remember these lists, that's how important they were. So, back to the last next slide, if we could, Brian. Lovely. Do it. That's the one. <coughs> so I think the first thing to say is that the, the Matthew's Gospel acts as a bridge, and that the genealogy especially acts as a bridge that leads us out of the New Testament, Old Testament, into the New. If you as a Bible reader were to jump from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, into, I don't know, Mark or Acts or Romans, you could be quite lost. Our Bibles comprise two distinct sections, don't they? Old and New Testaments. And the first we could describe as being primarily an account of the family line of Adam and his descendants, and the second, an account of the family line of Jesus Christ. Paul, the apostle, described Jesus as the second Adam. We went right back to Genesis, Genesis 5, which find in the opening verses these words. This is a, the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And the Old Testament then goes on to give a history of that family line, and it's often rather a sad history indeed. God who had created man in his own image, that man had rebelled, had sinned, and defiled and deformed that image. To make matters worse, when man brought forth children, he did so in his own deformed likeness, his own broken image. Again, just verse 3 of chapter 5 of Genesis. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. It's striking that they're using that same sort of terminology, in image and likeness, to make the point. But it was now in Adam's likeness, not in God's likeness. And these children of the fall go on to prove themselves to be sinners just like their parents. From then on, no matter what part of the Old Testament we go to and read, we find sin and sinners not far away. But now Matthew's Gospel is acting as a bridge connecting the Old and the New 
Testaments together, making the new, as it were, an extension of the old. The foundation of the New Testament is the saving work of God, sorry, as the saving work of God is record, as recorded in the Old Testament, which is why when we read our Bibles, we need to read the Old Testament as well as the New. The New, as it were, builds on the Old. It doesn't, as it were, start from a totally new position. One of the main ways that Matthew is building a bridge in, with his gospel is that right from the start, he introduces his readers to a new king in a line of kings. A king who would fulfill in his life and death many prophecies from the Old Testament. Is that me banging this or is it? I can hear that bang occasionally. Um, he was a king, Jesus was a king, was the end of the long line of Old Testament kings. A king who, well I'll do, sorry, I can Jesus was a king who, who would fulfill in his life and death uh, many prophecies that come from the Old Testament. Sorry, need to go down a bit now. He was a king, as I say, the end of this long line of Old Testament kings who needed no earthly successor to take up his role upon his death because he rose in resurrection power and ascended to the right. It seems to come down a bit. I can hear quite a lot of ringing. I'm sorry, John. One, two, three. That's a bit better, I think. Yeah, thank you. I take it you can hear, hear me all right, can you? It's just I, I could hear quite a lot of... of, of um, It, to some extent, we could say the, the Old Testament is a, was a book of promise, while the New is a book of fulfilment. Fulfilment is one of the key words to watch out for in Matthew's Gospel as you go through it over the next few weeks. It comes up regularly. In fact, Matthew uses over about 130 quotations and allusions to the Old Testament in his Gospel as he was writing primarily to Jewish readers and wanted to demonstrate to them that Jesus Christ was indeed the long-awaited Messiah. Just as the Old Testament focuses on the lineage of Adam taken from the dust of the earth, so the New starts with the lineage of the King of Kings, Jesus, the man of heaven. Paul describes in 1 Corinthians the difference between Adam and Jesus in these words. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was the dust of the earth. The second man, Jesus from heaven. Through no choice of our own, we have all been born into the line of Adam. And this makes us sinners by nature. But by a choice of faith, we now can be reborn into the line of the King of Kings, Jesus, who has become and become children of God. When we read that genealogy back in Genesis 5, a repeated phrase in it is that they died, they, they lived and they died, they lived and they died. Then he died. It's like a, 
a sound of a tolling bell, a funeral bell in that chapter. The Old Testament clearly illustrates the truth that the wages of sin is death. But as we come now to this opening words of the New Testament, the genealogy there opens with birth, emphasising on birth and life, not on death at all. 1 Corinthians 15, again Paul writes, he says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The message of the gospel is that the wonderful gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we have those words in, in John 3, don't we? John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, but whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And this is the message being spelt out by Matthew, the bridge builder, as it were, between the Old and New Testaments, who himself stands as a Jew with one foot in the Old and one foot in the New. And that is why one reason why this genealogy is so important here at the beginning of the New Testament. So just taking a closer look at that genealogy, if a man were to suddenly appear and claim to be a king, you would naturally want to understand what proof there was for that. Anyone claiming to be the son of David had to be able to prove it. What was their background? Why should they, we pay homage to him? What credentials does he have? Royalty depends on heredity. It was important for Jesus to establish his rights to David's throne. And Matthew, in the first chapter, he both records the human heredity of Christ, from Abraham through to himself, uh, to Jesus, as well as his divine heredity, in the last verses, 18 to 25. Genealogies were very important to Jews. Without them, they could not prove their membership, their inheritance. So this list of names is a vital part of the gospel record, as it shows that Jesus Christ is part of history. In fact, that all of Jewish history was ultimately a preparation for his birth. Throughout the Old Testament, God in his providence ruled and overruled, despite people's sin, to accomplish his ultimate purpose, which was to bring his son into the world, the only one able to deal with human sinfulness once and for all. But there would have been many Jewish men who could also trace their family back to the line of King David. So it needs more than a human pedigree to make Jesus the messianic son of David. And this is why Jesus' divine heredity is also included in Matthew's first chapter. In verse 18, Matthew writes, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. In Matthew verses 16 and 18 of that first chapter, it, it, he makes clear that Jesus Christ's birth was different from that of any other Jewish boy named in the genealogy. Matthew describes Joseph not as the father of Jesus, but rather as the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, 
who is called the Christ. Jesus was born of an earthly mother without the need for an earthly father, the doctrine of the virgin birth. Every child born into this world is a new creature, a new creation. But Jesus Christ, being eternally God, existed before Mary and before Joseph or any of his earthly ancestors. The opening verses of John's Gospel are those, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. If Jesus Christ were conceived and born just like any other baby, then he could not be God. It was necessary, therefore, for him to enter this world through an earthly mother, but not to be begotten by an earthly father. So the second difference was that he was a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Again, the opening verse, the verses in Luke's Gospel, the first chapter, Jesus' conception in the womb of Mary, a virgin. A prophecy written down originally in Isaiah's Gospel, where we can read, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. All the aspects of, of the genealogy seek to demonstrate the fulfilment of prophecy. It is this new king, Jesus the Christ, that Matthew points to through the genealogy, but he points to his humanity and his right, but he also points to his divinity, setting the stage for all that will follow in the gospel. He wants the reader, his readers to know right from the beginning the lineage of the one that they are now going to read more about, his fulfilment of so much Old Testament prophecy, his right to that throne. Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, whose line, whose heritage is both human and divine. The other slide, Ben Brown. But there, having just talked about the genealogy, I want to go on and talk about the relevance of that today. We're largely non-Jewish, as far as I'm aware. But it is actually into this family line in Christ that we are mysteriously grafted. Paul writes, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Matthew's long list of names, his genealogy, I believe, is not just a genealogy that we can continue to view in a detached way, just something that belongs to another person's family, another person's heritage. I think just as Matthew wanted his readers to understand Jesus Christ's family line, building the bridge between the Old and the New Testament, of the bridge of God's redemptive work, so he is also looking forward to the future as well. To me, the genealogy we have listed here is no longer something I can just read as irrelevant for me personally, because my understanding of it, that as a person of faith grafted into Christ, but it has, in some mysterious way, but some very real way, become part of my history, my family line, my spiritual gene genealogy, too. 
Ephesians 2 and verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ shed for us at the cross, which we remember, and by faith, as it were, drink, at the communion table, where we're going to share later. Blood speaks of family. It speaks of heritage. It speaks of the line of Jesus Christ into which, the family of Jesus Christ, into which we are invited. So I hope that just maybe helps a little bit more to think maybe more deeply about this long list of names. But it is actually an essential part of any gospel reading. And Matthew's gospel rightly starts with this bridge. But I think it is also a heritage that remains relevant to us as we look forward in the weeks to come in all that we will hear and be studying over the coming weeks. I hope we might see that this, this list in Matthew that he starts his gospel account with is so much more than just a dry list of names. His genealogy of Jesus Christ is a genealogy of God's grace that reaches out through time seeking to touch every single one of us. Again, Paul in Corinthians 5, he says, Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This genealogy of Jesus Christ is the line of salvation history. It has in that faith become our spiritual lineage too, our family line, our identity too. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is not a random collection of texts, but pulled together by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit using human scribes and authors and whatever. Lord, we just pray that as we read your word, we may look for you in your word, and you may meet us in your word and lead us. We thank you for the salvation we have in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the family to which we now belong. And as we come to the communion table shortly, Lord, Lord, might we remember and give thanks to you in Christ. Amen.